Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, today's episode is brought to you by the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Their website is ASPCA.org. ASPCA.org. Go over there. Check it out. Donate. Help uh, rescue animals from abuse. It's a good cause, and it's a good thing to do this holiday season. ASPCA.org. Thank you. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it was like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Okay, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is filled with holiday spirit. This is something you can do while lying down. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Uh, does this, does it sound like this is filled with holiday spirit? Because I do mean that sincerely. Happy holidays. I'm Brad Listy. Uh, I'm here in Los Angeles. I have a very good show for you today. I have a holiday spectacular happening here right now. Luke B. Goble is my guest. He has a novel out called 14 Stories, None of Them Are Yours. And it's available from an indie press called Fiction Collective 2. Uh, Luke and I had a really good conversation. I know I say that a lot, I feel, and I mean it. I usually have uh, good conversations with the people who guest on this show. Luke and I, uh, we had an especially good one, I felt, and I feel like what we talked about is apropos this time of year, uh, like the general uh, the general thrust of the conversation. Is thrust the right word? <laughs> it was that kind of talk is what I'm saying. It's a good time uh, to share it, Christmas Eve. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, I hope you're doing okay. I know uh, this can be a little bit of a, a hectic uh, period on the calendar. I'm, uh, I'm hanging in there. It's been busy, but I'm hanging in there. I told my daughter that Santa Claus isn't real. So that happened. She's four. I don't know how to handle that. I don't, And I don't pass judgment on parents that try to uh, maintain the illusion. It's a tough call. What do you say? Your kid asks you. I just can't lie. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. She asked me if Santa Claus was real. I was like, no, honey, it's a story. It's your parents. But she's still sort of hanging on anyway. I think kids kind of want to believe. The other thing that's sort of weird is my daughter started to call me by my first name. Am I supposed to correct that? Like She calls me Brad. <laughs> so that's actually kind of endearing. 
I don't promote that. That just started happening. I don't know how to deal. You know, I feel like uh, the way that I'm wired, my child asks me a question, I'm always going to try to give an honest answer, even if it's uh, even if it spoils the party a little bit. That's just my style. I hope I haven't uh, shattered her dream, ruined her childhood. So, anyway, uh, happy holidays. If you're not doing well, uh, if this time of, you know, time of year is difficult for you, then uh, you know, hang in there. And I hope that this uh, show, I hope that my conversation with Luke uh, helps you uh, kill an hour, if nothing else. I mean, that's a good thing about listening to, uh, to podcasts. It's a great way to not listen to the voices in your head. Listen to the voices in other people's heads for an hour. Give your head a rest. That's what this is about. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. So uh, Luke B. Goebel is the guest. His book, his novel is called 14 Stories, None of Them Are Yours. It's available now from Fiction Collective 2. So uh, let's get to that. Happy holidays. Uh, I'm in a condo uh, on a, the Columbia River, looking out across the, the silver water and uh, near an airport, near Portland Airport. So I'm on the Washington side, uh, just looking out at the river with the planes coming down. So Portland, Oregon. Yeah, basically, yeah. Vancouver, Washington, Portland, Oregon, yeah. Okay. We'll say that. How'd Sounds you, better. How'd you wind up up there? Uh, I grew up in Portland mostly. Uh, we moved out here when I was 12, and uh, my family's still in Portland, and this is my grandparents' place, and they let me use it. They, what do you mean they let you use it? Are they still alive? Yeah, but they've got they've got a place on the other side of the river. This is like their extra spot that they've just kind of kept over the years. They had it first, and uh, they kind of just leave it here for me to use. Do you live so, there? No, I live in Texas now. I teach down in Texas, but uh, uh, I spend four and a half, five months here, you know, breaks and whatnot. Okay, wow. And that's just where you when you when you're in Oregon, you live in that house. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty generous of them. That's it's nice. great. That's yeah. Nice. There's something to be said for being like, you know, older generation having been somewhere a long time, you're able to like put down roots like that and acc- yeah. accumulate. <clears throat> yeah, I mean shit used to be really cheap here, you know. Portland and it was was really really cheap and we came out in, you know, the early 90s. Things were you could you could get things for nothing. Now it's insane, you know. The market's gone nuts. So uh, here now you have to bid over. I have to give more than the asking price, like considerably more if you want to get a piece of property. You know, it's nuts. 
Wow. Okay. So, and what do you do? And where, where are you down in Texas? Are you in Austin? No, no. I'm in a town called Tyler. It's about a hundred thousand uh, oil and gas town. Um, real uh, rich and real poor. Kind of close to the Louisiana border. Yeah. My dad. Yeah. My dad grew up in one of those oil towns. Like it's now defunct, but like. Yeah, I always I grew up among the remnants of that. Like you'd go down there and you could see like where the old rich oil people used to live, and I guess some of them still live there, but a lot of it was kind of, you know, dilapidated at that point. So, uh, Tyler's still still thriving, man. Fracking is alive and well, and uh, and other oil interests. So there's there's a bunch of really rich people, and then you go across the other side of town. You know, there's like the racially segregated town. Uh, you know, and then you go to the other side, and it's like tar shacks, and uh, still there. It's the south. Damn, you like it there? Uh, I'm glad I've lived in Texas for a few years. I think it's good. I think it's. I think it's been a good experience. I don't. I don't know if I always want to be in Texas. Uh, I know I don't actually, but uh, I. I actually really would love to be in L.A. You would. Yeah, which I. I heard you say earlier. Uh, I was listening to you in Atticus, and uh, L.A. gets a bad rap, but uh, I. I was one of those people. I lived in San Francisco for six years. And I always said, you know, fuck L.A. I'd never live in L.A. And now it's like I'd live in L.A. and fuck San Francisco because, you know, you have to you have to marry into a house in San Francisco now or an apartment, you know, rent control. Right, right. San Francisco's tough. And I just remember San Francisco, the parking, the parking situation, you know, not that L.A. is a, a picnic, but at least it's there's more landmass to park. I, I could never park my car whenever I went to San Francisco. They, uh, when you live in San Francisco, you learn to pray to Charlie. Charlie's the parking god. You have to pray to Charlie, and then a spot magically appears. It actually works. Okay. Well, just got to shout out to Charlie. Yeah, clearly that's what I was not doing. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I want to ask you. Like, you grew up in Portland. Like, Portland, you, uh, you moved there from someplace? Yeah, we moved from a small town in Ohio, uh, about 2,500 German Catholics primarily. Um, my father was probably the only Jew in town. And, uh, although he converted to Catholicism as well. And I was, I think I was seventh generation there. So we moved out to Oregon in 92. I was 12. Why? Uh, some falling outs with the family business. And then, um, uh, one set of the family, my mother's sister had moved out here and we kept visiting and, you know, fell in love with it. Same reason why now no one can find a place to live in Portland. You know, people just come out. It's a beautiful spot. Yeah, it's a pretty great spot in the world. What do your folks do? Uh, my dad's the assistant. Uh, he's the business, basically the business dean of the Lewis and Clark Law School. And um, my mother uh, is, she doesn't work. She does other things. She's a mom. Uh, she was, yeah. Yeah. Then the, wait, and how many uh, siblings you got? Uh, I have a, uh, an older brother and a younger sister. Um, but uh, my, my big brother left uh, the planet three and a half, four years ago now, oh, which is a lot of what the uh, book deals with. And, you know, there's a lot of that in the book dealing and processing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was reading about it and, uh, you know, sort of, sort of expected that, but I wasn't entirely sure. Do you mind me asking what happened? Uh, no, I don't mind you asking, but I'm, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say he, uh, ah, God damn it. I hate I hate the question. It's you know, hard, it's hard to talk about. I mean, I just you know I think people listening are would be curious just hearing. But uh, you know, you, you, if you don't want to talk about it, you certainly don't have to. Yeah, for years it really kind of pissed me off that every time you say you've lost someone, the first thing people say is what happened, and no one ever asks like what's his name or who was he or tell me about him. You know what I mean? Like we're so I don't know why we ask that question. 
I think it's na- I think it's natural reflex, you know, because we're afraid of death. Yeah, and we want to know what are all the possible ways that we could go. Yeah, and, <laughs> well, and, and, and like you know, it sounds like he went before his time. I mean, he was a young, yeah. he was a younger person, so it's like, oh God, what happened? You know, like, yeah, something must have happened if he. If he <clears throat> yeah, well, he had a he had a a, a bad uh, case of sleep apnea, really severe um, difficulties with sleep. So that. And, and uh and uh yeah it was a, it was a tragedy he left before his time damn well i'm sorry about that man so uh, what was his name and what was he like <laughs> carl uh his name was carl goble he was a big uh big beautiful larger than life kind of guy uh, uh i've been hooked on listening to elvis for the last few year for the last year and uh just that kind of like you know bigger than life bigger than bigger than a self usually is you know just that kind of like straight straight charisma uh, or I don't know how to say it, man. He was he was just a big guy, big motorcycle driving, pistol carrying, St. Bernard owning, dirt biking, like big organ, larger than life kind of character. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. That's shitty, dude. I kind of lost a brother. I mean, it was a, it was a, I don't have a brother biologically, but I, I, uh, like my best friend growing up, uh, passed away like three years ago. It would have been 2011, uh, before his time. So. I sort of feel you. It's a, it's a bummer. It's a, it'll shake you. Yeah, man, it's heavy, isn't it? It's like the it's like the I'd never lost anybody. You know, I'd never been to a funeral. I'd never. Uh, it just there was no such thing as death. And I lived my life. You know, I've done all kinds of crazy shit. You know, that I never even considered death was actually a real possibility. You know, it was like something you know that happened at the end of a long life. You know, I'd never lost anybody. And then and then somebody goes away, and it's like fuck. Right. This yeah. thing is such a such a so it's not even real. We don't. We just like we you know in America um, or the Western world, we really hide our death, don't we? Like you don't see it. You know, we put people are zipped up, taken away, buried underground. Like you just don't see death the way you might in other places, and it's not as much of an immediate reality. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, inevitably, it happens to everybody. You know, like I have friends who've never lost anybody. They're almost forty years old. Uh, and I think of them and with some envy because I've lost uh, quite a few people and have been exposed to a lot of it, uh, you know, I guess comparatively. And, uh, and I envy them cause I'm like, damn, you know, like they're untouched. But then I think to myself, but it's coming, <laughs> you know, like they're going to get theirs one way or the other. Like we all do, you know, it's not like there's any kind of escape. Yeah. We just have too much survival, I guess. Too many of us, we all live too long now and there's not enough, you know, I mean, I don't know, I guess in the old day, right. Everybody was dying all the time or in other countries, like my sister went to India to process it, you know, and rented a a little shitty apartment somewhere uh, where they, you know, where people go to be burned on the Ganges. And, uh, you know, I guess that was one way that she processed the loss of our brother, you know, just watching all these people like begging to, Get enough. I think maybe I'm getting this all wrong, but I think they're begging to get enough like wood to be burned or something. You know, it's like people just want to die and not being reincarnated in this town uh, in in India. And so, I mean, like watching people, you know, be burned, I guess, would be one way to deal with it. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, that'll that'll bring the reality home for sure. It's like, so I, okay, that's an interesting um, brings up an interesting question: is you know how to deal with loss? Um, you know, I guess everybody sort of does it differently. Your sister. Sounds like went to India, what she's of an Eastern bent spiritually. Like, did this change you? I mean, I think she just went and, and, and just lived. I mean, I don't think she was like, you know, there's people who go to India and they, you know, like seek gurus or they go to like the yoga cults or whatever. She just like went and, you know, rented a shitty apartment and drank some whiskey and, you know, walked around. And it wasn't her first time there. She goes for, you know, six months at a time and, and she just kind of likes the, the overwhelmingness of, of 
the you know the stimuli of all the things happening at once, the intensity of the world there, um, and maybe what you were saying, just that that you know death is real, their life is in some way you know more immediate. Yeah, no, I get it, I get it. So, what about you? Like, how did you process? Did you did you change? Did you did it force you to confront like questions of like the uh, you know cosmic slash spiritual nature? Or did it cause you to recoil from such things? Like, what did it what did it do to you? Oh, uh, yeah, it definitely changed. It changed me fucking immediately. Uh, I came home. I was in. I was overseas, and uh, I got the word. And you know, where were you? I was in Portugal, and I talk about this in the book. But I mean, yeah, uh, uh, just being in a fucking room and 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 hearing that news, and it's just, you know, I, there's no words for it. Um, it's probably the most haunting fucking thing that I can remember in my life. And then, you know, coming home, it's like, you know, I was never, uh, you're never a kid again. <clears throat> I mean, shit, I was 33, but no, that, yeah, but it, it, <laughs> no, I was 30, I was 30, but you know, I was still a fucking kid. And then that just, yeah, I don't know. It changed me a lot of ways. I gained some, I, I, I weirdly like gained a bunch more body mass. I got like stronger. I got like bigger without working like very quickly. Uh, my face changed. He was a bigger guy. I kind of like took on some of his, more of his physical look. Uh, uh, which is a weird kind of phenomenon, but I hear that that happens with loss. Um, uh, and I, and I guess I got a job, right. I had just gotten like my first visiting professor job. So I went, I, you know, I moved down to fucking Texas and I started, uh, teaching and it was like a year of trial. And uh, I still thought like academia mattered at that fucking point, like getting a job and being on tenure track and all that shit. So I, I kind of just like stuffed it, went down and like, you know, drove his big pickup truck down to fucking Texas and just was like, all right, now I got to, you know, earn this job and, and went into teaching, you know, four four trying to prove myself to these classes. Uh, and then I started writing, you know, more stories that, that dealt with it, which later became the book. So I kind of just threw myself into work. Uh, seems natural. I mean, you got to keep yourself busy. Like there's, I mean, it's a little, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds on this. Like, I think you do have to confront uh, you can't run away from it. It's going to be there one way or another, and it's got to be dealt with. Um, so I, I get like throwing yourself into work and like, you know, putting your energy on other people and not being too lost in your own head. But then um, I guess at the same time, when it comes to creative work and, and writing in particular, like it's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, yeah, it's work, but it's also a way of, of confronting it for sure. You know, you're, it's not like you're not dealing with it by sitting down to write. Yeah, but it's it's this different kind of thing, you know. It's like you're processing it, you're dealing with it, you're crying, you know, you're getting the fucking shit out on the page, and it's, but it's and it's just like really kind of. I mean, it is like catharsis, right? Like it makes you feel in some way better. But you're also like, I don't know. For me, I made it into like an. It feels like some way I kind of like made it into another thing, you know. Like there's real life, and then you make it into a piece of art, and then that art is like there is this buffer between you and the real thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, dude. It does. I mean, I've been trying to write lately, like. Uh... My wife and I have been uh, struggling with miscarriages, uh, which, is, mm-hmm. which is another fun kind of loss. And uh, I sit down to write. I'm, I'm curious to ask you about this because I've been struggling with it. Like, uh, you ever, did, you, did you ever in the writing of 14 stories think to yourself, like, fuck, this is too depressing. Like, I'm depressing myself. I'm going to depress the reader. Like, how do you render this in a way that's, like, not going to just completely beat the – beat the you know the spirit out of people <laughs> yeah no the book actually uh is is oddly uh hopeful and and it's manic it's a real manic kind of uh ride 
and uh, it goes real high up and then and then real high like not I wouldn't say low not depressing it's more like uh when it when it it drops down into like kind of these like uh vulnerabilities or honesties and vulnerability is like one of those words now we use too much but um it gets to the, like kind of this real kind of uh kind of heartfelt truth you know I don't, what the fuck what word do you use for it it gets real and uh, uh, at those moments, it's not really. I don't think it's really depressing. I think it's human, and I think it's it's. There's some beauty in it. Did, Paul, you, have to, did, you, know? did you have to struggle to get to that tone, or was it just what came out of you? The book is just really kind of me. It's just kind of my. It's just kind of it. It, it, it just kind of came through. It's a more honest self than even myself in 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 personal relation. You know, which I think is kind of like the point of that type of of of. It's one type of read, you know, where you can actually like get to the essence of the writer through their work sure. in a way that, you know, I think like I was able to just drop into some of these things and and, and I, I feel like they're more honest than than honest than like when I'm out in the world talking or when we're talking on this podcast. You know, I guess that's kind of the game of like working with sentences and writing is, you know, you get to really get it exactly the way it feels, you know. Was it a struggle to write? No, it wasn't a struggle to write. No, it was it was fun to write. Um, it was, it was fun to write the book and I didn't really, you know, think of it necessarily as a book. I was just writing stories and then, and then I put it together and I sent it out and then it won this prize, uh, uh, which I'd forgotten that I even sent to, I'd signed a contract with another press. Uh, and then, and then I got called and said, Hey, you know, you submitted to this prize you won. I'd forgotten I'd submitted. So I called the other place and they said, yeah, go take it. So, uh, then I just started fucking with the, with the book. I bought an old, uh, like 31 foot breaking bad kind of looking bounder RV and drove, across the country with a pistol and, and a typewriter and, you know, a generator and a bunch of computers and printers and uh, started adding to the book of stories and, and interrupting them and weaving them into a novel. And so, no, the whole thing was fun from start to finish. The only not fun part was the like, you know, shit every writer goes through where you're like trying and trying and trying for a story and it doesn't work and you start burning up and you start feeling like you're, you know, a fraud and you don't exist and you don't have a voice and you're a fucking piece of shit, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. The, the, like the burning up rage, depression, that's fear. Where I, that's where I am a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's. Thank you for articulating my, <laughs> my state of being. So the RV and the pistol and the typewriter and the computers and printers. Like, what prompted that? Is that like an homage to your brother, or is that something he would have done, or what was it? You just needed to get on the road. What's the deal? Uh, I don't. Know. I don't think that's something he would have done. He definitely did buy me that revolver, uh, which I was like at the time living in Massachusetts. He's like, I bought you this Colt forty five revolver. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with that? I've never shot a gun. I live in Massachusetts. I don't even think guns are allowed in that state. Uh, <laughs> right? It's like the most liberal, like you know, restrictively liberal state. Um, hello, Massachusetts listeners. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I finished, like I said, I finished the book. They gave me the prize, and then it was like this, 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 like kind of like fuck. What, what do I do now? You know, I don't really have anything else that I want to write, and you know, I guess you know, I'll just revise the book, like really work on you know the editing of it. So I just bought this you know old junk thirty-one foot RV. Actually, it's pretty sweet, and uh, uh, I just you know decided to like drive across the country for the summer and and do some revisions. And then it, it, you know, just through the process of like looking at the work, looking at the work, looking at the work was like, wait, what if I do this? Wait, what if I do this? What if I interrupt these stories? What if I add these parentheticals? What if I add these brackets? And the voice just kind of started to take over. I mean, it was already a heavily, heavily linked uh, collection. So I, it just happened. Okay. So where did you go in the RV? 
I just took off from Texas and headed uh, to Marfa. Marfa. Well, no, I dropped down to San. First day out, I went down to San Antonio, and it was the day of like those big uh, tornadoes a couple of years ago up in Oklahoma. And so there was there was these like insane fucking winds on the highway, and uh, this you know big thirty one foot giant eleven foot tall flat <laughs> surface is getting. That's blown across the highway yeah that's the vehicle you want to be in in a tornado yeah no idea what i was doing driving it and then the lights went out and the dark and the, you know the panel like the, the lights something with the fuse and the lights went out and the the uh, external air horn went out and so i like i can't you know let anybody know where i am and i'm like trying to hide behind this semi for wind protection it was it was fucking nuts i didn't know what i was doing uh there was no shocks i mean it was it was an old it was an old death trap it was fucking awesome and so, okay, so you went to Marfa. Oh, right, right. So we went down to San Antonio. Then I went down through Marfa. Uh, and then I just started heading down through the southwest. I dropped down uh, to Bisbee, Arizona, after Tucson or wherever. Uh, just kind of crossed, went across the southwest on 10 and then went through the Imperial Flats uh, on 8 and uh, ended up uh, going to uh, – shit, I can't remember the town now, about an hour uh, – uh, east of San Diego, there's a town way up, Jacumba. Went up to Jacumba, which is a weird kind of hot springs town full of lunatics uh, and naked yoga <laughs> yeah, anytime, sage pickers. Anytime there's a, a hot springs in the mountains, you just, you're just you guaranteed to find some weirdos up there. Yeah, I ran into some, some just some nut characters and, and then dropped down into San Diego and uh, uh, got in some trouble and thrown off of a beach, went and, and Got the University of San Diego, the Jesuits, to host me for a couple of days uh, uh, up on their campus and uh, did some writing up there and uh, got some free meals and, you know, just uh, then headed up up through California. Did L.A. for a while. I uh, <clears throat> destroyed a car on uh, Manhattan Beach. Uh, Wait, you what? You hit a car in your RV? Oh, I destroyed it. Yeah, coming out of that. You know, do you know Manhattan Beach? You know that parking lot right before the beach? Kind of. Yeah, I was. It's a pain in the ass to park in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, so, somebody was like backing me out, giving because I had no like backup cameras or any of that shit. And there's like you know twenty foot blind spots on either side, and <laughs> some guy was giving me directions on which way to turn the wheel. I was like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah." I turned it and I just destroyed this fucking Acura like a can opener, just ripped it from one side to the other, just ripped the whole side of it open. I couldn't even feel it, you know, in the RV, you don't even feel it. I just, uh, I, you know, he goes, oh, fuck. And I jump out and I'm like, God damn it. Yeah. And then the cops came and I'm just like, well, I hope they don't come in my car. I'm out there. I hope they don't come in and find the 45 because I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to have that. <laughs> so then I, uh, my buddy calls me and he's like, hey, man, we're in Reese Witherspoon's neighborhood in Brentwood. Uh, come on in. Uh, tell the people at the gate you're at such and such house with so and so. So I ended up like taking this giant fucking rig and parking it right in front of Reese Witherspoon's house for three days and hanging out with these girls. And, you know, it was just time. Wait, did, were, like, you, were they at Reese Witherspoon's house? They, they owned the house like right across the street. Oh, okay. So you weren't like hanging with Reese? No, we didn't. I didn't meet her. I, they, everybody was looking through the curtains, though, at this giant fucking, you know, disaster. <laughs> like, you know, the. Like, uh, Cousin Eddie in vacation. <laughs> There's like, you know, there's like $25 million houses and then, or 20 million. I don't know how much they are. A lot. What were your friends, and, were your friends are loaded? They're, they're living large in Brentwood? Uh, the one, the one young woman was, yeah, her family, uh, her dad was the, uh, private attorney for Howard Wynn of like the Wynn Casino. And, uh, so that'll yeah, be, be yeah, good. the folks were out and, uh, they'd left the house and the pool and the hot tub and, you know, it was great. That's awesome. Okay. So, 
then you went up to California, then eventually, where does this thing wind up? And you're able to work as you're going. Like you're not. Yeah, that's the beauty. You just pull over and crank the you know 6400 watt generator, or maybe it's 4600. I don't remember. And uh, you've got it all. You know, hot. You got uh, you know printers and computers and you know everything you want to run off of uh, 110. So it's you know it's the writer's dreams. Like I'm you know. Uh, rolling workstation yeah no my buddy johnny evison he does that he has a camper like that with this old one he just takes it up into the hills uh north of seattle and goes on these riding binges it's great it's like it was the best place i ever wrote in my life yeah you know yeah. You, just pull, you pull up to the coast in san francisco china beach or whatever and you just look out at the waves and write you know you drive through the southwest you pull over under an off-ramp and and you just write and you know so you've got material always happening it's like that what was that book uh that Steinbeck book where he does that, where he takes the old camper. Oh God, I'm gonna forget. It's Travel, not travels. Was it travels with Charlie? That's what I. That was. That's just what I was gonna say, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. No, that's right. Yeah, he's got the little dog. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like when you're uh, when you're doing this, like, are you staying at like RV campgrounds and shit like that, or are you just pulling over any old place? I stayed at one uh, RV campground. No, two. Uh, one, and they're both in the book. Uh, uh, one was in, I don't know, the Southwest somewhere called Teardrop RV Park, T-I-E-R uh, Drop, which I thought was weird for a name, like like you're lowering strata. Uh, and then the other one was the Malibu Beach RV Park, which I think if I end up getting a job in L.A., I'll probably just get an old motor coach, like a 40-footer, and just live at the Malibu Beach RV Park. Have you ever been there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've passed by. I've never, like, hung out in it, but Malibu... Uh... It's not such a bad spot. It's beautiful. The waves are crashing. You're looking right over the ocean. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I figure even at 60 bucks a night, which is, I think, what they were getting. I mean, that's still cheaper than most places in L.A., isn't it? No doubt. No doubt. And a better view. For yeah. Sure. Better, right. air, better air quality. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so, but most of the time I was just, uh, you know, the idea was, you know, originally I was just going to get a trailer, but then I started thinking about all the different things, you know, like how do you have power? How do you have a generator? And then do you plug, like if you buy a trailer, do you plug a, I mean, you have to run a little external generator and plug it in to the side of the trailer, in which case, like if you're squatting in people's neighborhoods, they definitely know you're in there. You know what I mean? So the idea was like, where can I just crash anywhere that I want? And most of the time I just stay in like kind of nice neighborhoods. And uh, uh, one morning I was parked in Studio City and these two moms were walking their babies in their strollers. And then the one goes, well, I thought you knew him, Betty. And the other, or whatever her name was. And she goes, yeah, I know someone who would drive one of those. <laughs> and she's like, well, I guess I did. And she's like, well, what is that supposed to mean? And, like stormed <laughs> off. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you're like, no, I'm working on a novel. You've got like a whole cover story. It's good. You're not, so, just, you're not just creepy guy wandering the earth, you know. They are creepy looking. Yeah. yeah, it was. You know, it's a little weird. I mean, if you're in your neighborhood and suddenly there's an RV parked in front of your house, like you're thinking, is this a permanent thing? Because I'll tell you what, out in Venice, there's a lot of them. They have like the whole like you know these uh, like ascetic like Burning Man people living their campus mm-hmm. year round. You know, it's a mm-hmm. thing. It's a total thing. So yeah, but see, then for some reason, some part of me goes, "Oh fuck, I don't want to be a part of that." Nah. It's like when I rolled into San Francisco, trailers everywhere, RVs everywhere. It's just like, oh, I don't want to be one of those people. Yeah, well, and the plus like. <laughs> You, you know, I, you shower in the thing. You're, you're, oh yeah, you're, like, you're defecating in the camper. <laughs> no, I didn't shit. In the, I didn't shit in the RV. Yeah, because that, no, that can pull over for that. Yeah, that can get dicey. That can get no. Dicey. You pee in it, but uh, you know, yeah, you just find somewhere else. Okay, well that's. I mean, that's good to know because I've taken the RV trips in like college and whatnot, and like 
we we crossed that line and it was always a mistake because people oh, people would get yeah. desperate and then it's just sloshing around in there. It's a bad idea. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then you gotta you know you gotta get out the hose and the hose has cracks in it and yeah. stuff comes out. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's a nightmare. Okay. But uh, I think you know RVs are kind of over. I did that, and I think next I want, I'm thinking about a boat. I think boats would be good, right? Well, yeah, you could live down in the marina if you live out yeah. in the Get a boat. I have a, my friend's dad did that back in the day. He had a boat down there. Or you go to uh, San Francisco and live out in Sausalito. That's how people live. Uh, San Francisco is a disaster right now, isn't it? I don't know, man. I haven't been up there in a while. What's it's, uh, in, it's like insane. It's like three grand for an apartment for a one bedroom. Yeah. That's it's insane. just Twitter. They've, they've overrun the place. Right. So, okay, so you did all this. You finished the book in the camper? Is that when you finished it out? Yeah, yeah, I finished it out. I ended up in Oregon, you know, came back home uh, and, uh, uh, and, and finished working on the book and, uh, and then uh, started driving home for Texas uh, to return. And the uh, thing, the thing died. Uh, it had been shooting these giant fireballs out of the side of the thing uh, for about, you know, the last 2,000 miles. And eventually it just, it just died. Where so, did it, where uh, did it die? Died in Utah. Uh, a town called Fillmore, Utah, and you, and, you uh, leave it there. <laughs> yeah, it was a big debacle, you know, debate, and you know, it was hot, and I'm like one running around. It was like 100 some degrees, and I'm, I'm, I had not drinking any water. I ended up like dehydration. I had to go get an IV. I was, you know, I was really fucking fucked up about it. I really didn't want to lose that RV. I really loved the fucking thing, but uh, uh, we ended up, I ended up leaving it, getting a, getting a rental van, and and then crashing the rental van head on and exploding it. Uh, right as I hit town, so right in made, it, made it home. Yeah, I got back to Tyler and just head-on collision for the first time in my life. Fuck. Yeah, what exploded happened? the fucker. Uh, I don't know. I came out of somewhere, and somebody came out of somewhere, and they went into a lane they weren't supposed to go into, and uh, it just you know blew up. You hurt yourself? No, I was fine. They were fine. They, everything was fine. Not super high speed. Forty. Damn. Yeah. Did your, airbag, it was a, did your airbags go off? Yeah, but I just like I didn't even hit the airbag. I just ripped the wheel really hard and just kind of took it with my shoulders. Okay, uh, but it was fine. I've never been in a car accident before that. Damn. Yeah, it was. It was fine. You've had a fucking. You've had a, a summer. You had a summer. It was a fun summer. Yeah, it was a really fun summer. Did it ever get? I mean, it must have gotten dark sometimes. So you're by yourself. You're in this RV. You're you're contemplating things. You're writing. You're thinking about your brother. Like, did you ever have any like really dark? times there or was it uh, all sort of energizing and positive no it was all it was all beautiful it was all energizing it was positive i mean i guess you know i did a lot of obsessing about the vehicle and there was a lot of uh 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 you know like like one of the tires is empty in the back and if the other one blows it flips over and explodes and we all die uh me and the dog being we all and so you know and and crashing into things and having to fix things and things blowing out and just like a lot of kind of like vehicle obsession uh but that was fun and and the whole thing was just kind of a manic trip you know i i, I would just look back at it you know there was a lot of like the you know fucking crying writing feeling things uh being in mania being excited it was it was it was fun it was better than it was better than the fucking year or the months after the book comes out yeah. which which feel like shit. Well, but you do those. I mean, those you do those big trips. You take on like a big adventure. It's always great. It's kind of a pain in the ass sometimes when you're doing it. Like it's not easy, uh, and you can be running around Fillmore, Utah, in 110 degree heat, and like you know needing an IV and whatnot. But like, uh, I've always found that you go through those kinds of things and you live that sort of life, and then uh, it only gets better with the benefit of hindsight. They're glory days. 
it was fun. It was really, really fun. You know, it's, it's like you're, it's, you're all, it's everything's on the line. You know, you're driving that thing and it's so fucking big and you're driving through LA and the, you know, the highways are shit. They're all beat up. Everything's clanging and crashing. And, you know, you're you know, like the, just the act of driving something that large with no cameras or, you know, air ride suspension or, you know, it's just like, you know, it's, it's like a reckless endeavor with one tire that's almost you know that's gonna if the other one that blows you die it, you know it just feels like everything is you know it takes all of your body and all of your energy just to drive something that big your parents, uh, your parents must have been thrilled that you were doing this like I, I didn't tell them any you know you yeah. just don't tell them anything they, um, they, just can, drive. they can read about it yeah <laughs> so i mean you know just being you know, or and, and just you know the process of working on the book and just you know it was fun now now it's like, you know, what do you do after a book comes out and people like it and it's, you know, everybody says, you know, good things about it. And then what do you do? You know, you've had books come out. Did, do you, did you get bummed out afterwards? It's a little bit of a letdown. I think like this, the, the smart thing to do is just to keep working, find something new to, to work on and just put your focus there. But, um, you know, that's what I would suggest now, both to myself and to others. You know, you just have to – that's your power. That, and that's the only thing that really – you probably should be doing like too much of the publicity stuff. I mean, you got to do a little bit of it, but just keep writing, you know, if you can, I mean, I think it's an interesting question too. Like if you're a writer who works from the inside out and this book is really close to the bone and, um, you know, close to your life with whatever, uh, flourishes and twists you've added to it to fictionalize. But, you know, I think some writers are wired to write that way. Like they work from their lives and there's only so much stuff sometimes. Like, do you ever have that thought? Like, maybe I've like, I've, yeah, I've squeezed out a lot. And then, like, do you have? Do you, can, like, can you switch to being a writer who works from the outside in, or, or just, you know, really starts to like um, just make shit up out of the clear blue and piece together stories based on like pure imagination? Do you, do you get it? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, man, I know what you're getting at. Um, um, I first of all, I think that that's definitely right. You know, the publicity and the like, paying attention to what people say is is fucking death. Uh, I was listening to you in Atticus, and I thought it was really cool that he said he didn't read the Times for, for listeners, Atticus Lish, Preparation for the Next Life, which was a book that, that I was lucky to be in a very, very, very tiny way a part of watching come about because of my affiliation with Tyrant uh, books and having been an editor at the, the New York Tyrant. Uh, I saw it a year ahead of other people. And, uh, you know, he was saying he just doesn't read his reviews, didn't read the Times review. And, and, and I think that it's fucking brilliant because it is, it's the opposite of creativity is listening to what other people say and paying attention to the buzz and all that shit. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the whole fun of it all is the process. You know, I never had any response before. I've never put out a book before. And I'm feeling like getting the feedback, you know, being on lists, having reviews, all that is really great. And, you know, you're super you're grateful for it, but I think it's also like the last thing that you should pay attention to because it's like, you know, you know what I mean? Like the process, the writing, it is the fun part. And, uh, I'm finding that the months after is, is kind of depressing and I've got this new thing that I'm working on and, and it's not about me. It's not from the inside, but it's definitely from the inside in the sense of like, it's like, what am I looking at in the world and what needs to be said? You know what I mean? Like, even though it's, it's not my kind of personal story, it's like, what, what's the, kind of shit that's going on in the world, what's happening right now, where are we at as a people and, and kind of where do we need to, where's the next needed thing to be said uh, to the conversation? Fiction? Yeah, it's, it's, it's fiction. It's totally fiction. I mean, uh, as close to my own life as it gets is that one of the main characters has an emotional support animal. I have an emotional support animal. That's it. The dog? The dog, what's yeah. Your, what's your dog's name? 
Her name is Julie with a W, J-E-W-E-L-Y. Four years ago, I rescued her out of Dallas when she was about three months old. They found her under a couch with a broken leg, and and these tweakers had her and uh, had somehow gotten her healed up and uh, and put her on Craigslist. And I went, drove out through a hailstorm, picked her up at like one in the morning and, and got her. She's been with me ever since. Was this after your brother passed away? No, this was before. Oh, this was, was before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, uh, I Wait, was it before or after? Shit, I don't remember. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I got a buddy of mine died in college. I got a dog like four months later. And like I didn't put it all together until after the fact. But I was like, I think I got the dog. I think it was connected. I, I wanted to. I don't know what it was. I needed an emotional support animal. <laughs> Fuck, I think I did get the dog after I lost my bro. Yeah, no, it's like, I, it, I don't know. It would seem to make sense. I feel like yeah. that's a thing people do or something. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, at first I was just scamming. You know, at first I just uh, got her a vest off the internet and took an airplane ride and uh, got to LA and then, uh, and then realized I was going to be going out to Mexico with her and that this flimsy vest without the proper documentation wasn't going to work. And so uh, this woman that I was seeing in LA, who's a producer uh, with uh, America's Got Talent or some shit, she called up her friend who's head of UCLA psychiatry and, and he was like, I can't do it, but I got a friend and I went, and, it was like getting a mar- medical marijuana script. What? You know, they just, they just sent me to the psychiatrist and they just give you the letter. And oh, then you've got oh the right. Letter. Like where your dog is an emotional, like you have to fly with the dog and whatnot. Yeah. But, you know, I went there and I thought, you know, this is a scam. He's like, yeah, bring 400 bucks and you'll get your letter. Everything will be great. And then I go there and I start telling the guy about, you know, all this shit uh, because he's asking all these questions, you know, like they're asking, you know, like, come on, give me something I can work with here so I can, you know, it's like when you're a teacher, you know, it's like, give me something I can work with here so I can forgive you these, you know, absences because you're a decent fucking person. Just tell me a sad story. And so he's like, you know, tell me the sad story. So I started telling him about, you know, my, you know, various, uh, crazy, uh, things that have happened, uh, uh resulting possible, uh, uh, DSM five listed shit. And, uh, and he's like, starts getting really kind of concerned. <laughs> so in the end, I don't know if I con myself or I conned him because he wrote this letter that's like, oh, my God, uh, you know, uh, my functional status is impaired and all this. I'm currently under psychiatric treatment in L.A. in Beverly Hills from Dr. Edward Spencer. Uh, you know, it's like, well, am I or aren't I? <laughs> but you got the, but you got the paperwork. Got it. Yeah, it works. It's great. We okay. fly everywhere, and she's a perfect dog. She's not like we're not one of these pot-bellied pigs marauding down the aisle, shitting all over the airplane like you hear about lately. Did you see that article? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, no. She's she's a doll. Everybody loves her. Well, how big is she? What is she's what she's thirty pounds. Thirty pounds. I think she's like half African dingo, like a Basinji, and half like Australian something or other. But who knows? She's a mutt. She's got a blue eye with a white star in it, and a brown eye with a silver star in it. I mean, she's the cutest fucking dog ever. Yeah. Good girl. Julie. Soft. Yeah. yeah, people love her. All and right. she's just like the sweetest, most like – she just gets people. So what's uh, – you've traveled a lot, man. You sound like you have sort of a wanderlust or you know, you're, you're all over the place. You've lived a lot of different places. You're on the road. You're going to Mexico. Like what's up with that? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, uh, how do you answer a question? Like, I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> or I don't fit. Uh, I don't. I don't quite know what to do with myself. So I find that the happiest I am is when I'm out moving around. You know, trying to find the next kind of jump, the next thing to 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 get into. Where, um, where you been? You know, I mean, like all I, over the world. You traveled internationally a lot. Uh, just a little here and there, a few places, um, a few places. 
And uh, I've kind of, when I have traveled, I've traveled kind of dumb where I end up just like by myself walking around, you know, feeling kind of like a, a, a misfit. Um, but uh, the next place that I'm really interested in and excited about is Joshua Tree. Do you ever spend much time in Joshua Tree? I mean, I have. I went, you know, I had some experiences in Joshua Tree as a young man. Um, I haven't been there in a while, you know, but it's I, uh, it's beautiful. I hear the sirens. Yeah, no, that's the garage now. We're I'm <laughs> exposed to the city. Just shit happening all over. I like it. I like it. Yeah, uh, nice God, place. I love L.A. <laughs> it's so nice, it's nice to hear that. <laughs> what do you mean? What did you, what, what happened down there? What do you mean? You said you had some experiences. Oh, just college stuff, you know, uh-huh. camp, camping and getting out of hand. I mean, like four-wheeling where we shouldn't have been four-wheeling, you know, just bananas. It was bananas in, nice. in retrospect, but good times and beautiful. Oh, I love it out there. I, I just fucking love it out there. I'd like to start – my dream is like to start some kind of a colony out there, like a place where artists uh, can come out and have time to work and, and a space to, to work on their art and their writing, you know? Yeah. And it's it's so cheap there. I mean it's insanely cheap. Yeah. No, like, that's how I was just going to say. land for nothing. Yeah, you can, get, you can get some land for nothing. You can get a little like concrete bungalow for nothing and – Right, and then put some put some some shipping containers, and you know, turn them into little stucco houses or whatever. You know, just build out the dream. And I've been talking to a lot of writers, uh, some pretty big names who are like they want to do it too. You know, and, and a lot of people kind of are having this 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 dream right now. And I'd love to, you know, who are you talking to? to? Who are you talking to? Uh, Vanessa Vanessa Veselka. Uh, do you know her from Portland? Sure. Yeah, I talked to her on the show. Oh, great. Yeah, she's awesome. She's she's you know super into the idea. Courtney Mom. Uh-huh. Do you know do you know her? Yeah, it's like the port it's like I, I I always joke it's like the Algonquin Round Table of Portland, Oregon, you know, like these people uh right there are all Portland writers. <laughs> uh uh Courtney's in uh uh she's in Massachusetts. Isn't she uh, out in the uh, Berkshires? No. Yeah, no, I might be mis- I might be uh, mis- But she's but she's international. I mean, she's everywhere. She's in LA. She's in uh, I think they're going she and her husband make films, so they're going to Sundance. Uh, next week or something or whenever that happens. Uh, oh. She's in New York. She's in Paris. She's in L.A. She's everywhere. Oh. Um, but uh, she's into it. You know, a lot of people just talking to talking to writers and artists who are just like, you know, that's where a lot of people feel kind of drawn, I think, uh, right now. Uh, yeah, it's, so. it's great until it's great until it gets too hot. You know, at least for me, I don't know if you can deal with desert heat, but like, oh, I was there this summer, man. Uh, this this musician friend of mine lent me her like nineteen and a half foot Buick with no air conditioning, and her house, like sort of house with no air conditioning, and uh, it was a fucking disaster. We it was me and Julie the dog, and we're like driving around, and you know, you get panicked when you're driving an old car out. You know, we went out past Twenty Nine Palms and just kept going, and then all of a sudden it hits you like if this thing breaks down, I've got like, you know, three fingers of water yeah, and it's 116 degrees and we're going to die, you know, if nobody comes by, but you know, we were driving around with jugs of water, just pouring water on my head, pouring water in the dog's head, trying to force more water, you know, into her mouth and, you know, just uh, writing, you know, you wake up like super early in the morning and like just pour water on yourself in front of a typewriter and just try to survive. And then, you know, you go out, you know, naked to pee and, and you're worrying about these Mojave greens. Have you heard of the Mojave greens? No. What's that? They're like this special kind of rattlesnake that's in Joshua tree. That's 10 times more poisonous than a rattlesnake. They have blood toxins and neurotoxins. They'll stand like three to three feet 
up in the air and they're highly aggressive and territorial. And they actually like will come across a good distance to come after you to fucking bite you. You know, most rattlesnakes, it's like, they just want you to stay away from them. These things will see you about, you know, a few, like a hundred yards away and just start cooking at you. Okay. You know, like, let's go. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's, but you know, again, it's like, you know, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It adds, a, adds an element of danger. So, uh, like you're doing all this, like you live like a, like a more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stupid. I, no, I tenor in, but <laughs> your life sounds freer. You know, you're not bound down. Like I, I take it you're not married or have kids or anything like that. Uh, no, no, I haven't subjected anyone to any of that. Okay. Uh, no, it's just me. Right. Uh, and, and the dog. Uh, yeah, but then, you know, then the rest of the year, eight months of the year, I'm, you know, I'm in like a tie and I'm in an ultra, you know, fairly conservative area with a lot of Baptists and a lot of, you know, students who are like, I'm offended by the S word. And I'm like, what the fuck is the S word? <laughs> uh, you know, so there's like, you know, then I have to, you know, gel the hair down and put the tie on and, and go teach, which I love teaching. But there's so much more to uh, the job than the teaching part. You know, the teaching part's great, being with real humans. Uh, but then you go into, you know, the rest of academia and it's, you know, there's, I don't know. Yeah. So red tape grading, grading paper sucks. I think I don't mind any of that. It's just the, it's just the, you know, it's just the kind of attitude of academia and the, and the bureaucracy of it and the, you know, the department and the, you know, kind of some of the viciousness that goes on, you know, because like, you know, obviously I'm not your typical academic. Well, yeah, I know I I get that. I mean, you have like, uh, you're not, I don't think you're as buttoned down as a lot of academics can be. Well, and, you know, just creative writers in general. I mean, you know, now there's the new the new kind of strain of creative writers, uh, you know, who are, you know, totally academic, you know, types. But, uh, you know, originally and, and what most writers are, you know, it's like we belong in the art department. We belong in the arts. We're art. You know what I mean? It's 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 an art. It's not it's not the you know, we didn't do an eight years of Ph.D. So what do you want to do? Like in terms of like, how do you want your life and career to like you want to start this art colony and like live like bohemian? I mean, I, yeah, I'd love to have like, you know, a, a gig in LA teaching and then, and then spend my weekends and my, and my four or five months off, you know, in, in Joshua Tree, giving back, you know, having like a, a place that, you know, artists can come to and, and having like kind of a, a community space. Uh, uh, that'd be, that'd be ideal. But I don't know, man. I'm, uh, it's all up in the air at the moment. You got, what, you got any travel plans like in the offing? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Uh, right now, dropping down to Mexico to, um, I'm learning how to surf. I've surfed twice now and, and, uh, I'm going to go down to Mexico and do a little surfing. Where? Uh, Todos Santos. Yeah. You drive down there, you fly down there. Fly. I'd like to drive. Yeah, drive drive sounds way more fun. Yeah. I don't know, dude. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm taking an old car down into Mexico. I feel like that could be a little precarious. Like Mexico, I mean, it's fine. I don't want to sound paranoid, but there's a lot of dark shit going on in Mexico. It seems like. Yeah, I would be scared too. Yeah, on, uh, those, on those open highways, there's like you can get into some trouble. Like there's that dude who got killed. I mean, wasn't he on some crazy road trip? Did you hear about that guy? No, he was like some investment banker, like quit his job and took all his money. And was, oh shit! Like the guy version of Cheryl Strayed, and then he just gets killed. Yeah, they, like I mean, you know, it's an awful <laughs> story. Uh, yeah. It's like he was gonna drive. I think he was gonna drive down to the World Cup, or he was gonna drive down to like the tip of Argentina or something, and like he got, he got, you know. Wrote and it was by some some pirates or whatever the fuck you want to call them, and they killed him. 
I got this buddy, Alex Ilyinsky, who I went to high school with. You know, he was like the, you know, he was like the coolest, like, you know, best looking fucking awesome guy that we were all like, you know, somewhat, you know, like, oh, if I could only be like that character. And so I, I you know, didn't run into him for like 10 years. And then all of a sudden he, he appears in Joshua Tree and we run into each other. And I'm like, OK, I'm with this girl. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck, uh, you know, I hope he's not as cool as I thought he was. You know, it's just high school shit. And he's like, you know, I just got done with like a. 3,000 mile motorcycle trip through Mexico, through all these places and shit, you know, surfing and, and motorcycling. I'm like, God damn it. Oh. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, he does it and uh, they, you know, people, yeah, I, he had some stories about, you know, marauders, people with guns trying to stop you on the highway and you just got to move. You just got to get through them. You know, I guess you just don't stop, right? People, oh. people show up with a shotgun and try to stop you. You just drive through them, I guess. Yeah. Easier said than done. Hope they weren't the police. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Like, but how can, that's the problem with Mexico. How do you know the difference? I mean, they're all in cahoots. It seems like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would do it if I would do it if there were other people involved. I mean, the problem with Mexico too is you can't have a gun, right? You're just like there's no guns allowed. Oh, really? I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you're. I think citizens aren't allowed to have pistols, are they? I have no idea. Which, if I was in charge of Mexico, I'd give every woman a gun. I mean, that would seemingly solve the problem, right? It would definitely level the playing field a little bit. Right. Every woman gets a gets a gun a see idea. what the car see what the cartels can do <laughs> right. right um well that's cool man that sounds like that sounds great and i'm just i'm curious to know uh and this you know I, it's a hard question to ask because it can sound stupid but i think it's worth asking because i don't think that it's uh, a totally illegitimate question uh did did the writing of your book you know uh, did, did you find yourself in any kind of definitive way feeling better or understanding more deeply uh, like your place in the world, uh, what mortality means, like any of those big questions, did you get anything definitive from it or are you, are you still sort of wide open on it and confused like most of us? I'm still definitely wide open and confused. Um, I think during the, during the time that I was writing it, both when I was living, you know, in a little ranch, uh, in Texas, you know, writing on my typewriter, the, the stories that would later become the book, uh, or when I was out, you know, doing the manic road trip. I mean, all those things. I think I knew my my spot at those moments, you know, which is which is really, you know, humbly kind of in the in in the pursuit and being dedicated to to you know the art that is just yours as well as many many other people's. You know, the process of writing is is a place where I can live and inhabit and feel like I've got a fucking clue with what I'm doing at that moment. But as soon as that moment's over and you know, we're doing the promotion of the book or the books out and people are talking or, you know what I mean? I'm not writing the next thing I'm lost, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's like probably why I'm always moving around and trying to find the next thing. Cause I've got to find the next perspective for the next book, you know, because the only time that I feel in any way safe is when I'm working with the sentences and the feelings and, and, and being kind of honest in a way of, you know, uh, being, you know, honestly in pursuit of trying to put the thing down on paper that, that is of some value to me and hopefully other people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. I mean, I think uh, I think that's how most of us feel, especially when it's going well. You know, if you're, if you're a writer and you've got that sort of wiring and then you're sitting down and you really have your hooks into something or it has its hooks into you, that's kind of where you're happiest. Or at least, I don't know, that's where things make the most sense. Uh, yeah, you, you, and the... The terrifying place is what if it doesn't happen again, you yeah, know, well, yeah. or yeah, yeah. How do you, or, how do you, or, or if it's just not working, you know, like that's so frustrating. That fucking shit. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just like, it's not working. It's like, I'm not working. What the fuck is wrong? with <laughs> Right. Right. 
Yeah. But you got to grind through. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's everybody's experience. I think you just have to grind through. Right. So, uh, you believe in God? Yeah. Yeah, do. I do. I mean, uh, yeah, I was raised Catholic and I still like to go to mass every, every now and then, and then just, uh, just cry. Uh, but I don't know, you know, I've, I've, I've taken some weird, uh, trips through life and I've done things very, very, very differently than, 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 you know, what they had intended for me when I sat through, uh, whatever first communion or whatever, I don't have any recollection of any of that stuff, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, re- I'm, 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 I believe in God. Uh, it's definitely a, I, you know, I think I, like I read, you know, I've read Augustine, uh, you know, uh, kind of the founding kind of meant, uh, mind of the church. And, you know, I mean, he's like saying like, we have no clue. You know, he's not a literalist. It's like, you know, we're seeing through a veil and we're seeing through a mirror darkly. And, you know, like there's so much more going on. So, yeah, I believe in God, but it's not limited by a lot of dogma or, or you know, kind of I have some frameworks. But uh, but I think it's like everybody gets in. Everybody's going up. Everything's good. Yeah. Way better. Way better than we think. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like where I'm at right now is like, like if there's a God, everything's God. Everything. Like all of it. Everything we're looking at. Everyone. Every blade of grass. And it's got to be really good. I mean, you got to think, and it's got to be fairly, at least like, if not like, uh, out, like uh, explicitly benign, then like indifferent to the point where it's harmless. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I just, I, you start to get into judgment, and you start to get into like dark and light, and it gets me like, you know, that's. I think I think it's all light, man. I think it's all. I mean, the, 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 as fucked up as the world is, as fucked up as losing people is, as fucked up as you know politics and i could go on that's what my next book is you know i mean there's just so much to be fucking furious about but when you look at the big picture of you know just people and how fucking beautiful they are in the world and how amazing it is you know what i mean that the stuff that there is to make art out of and and the beauty that underlies it all it's got to be fucking gold man place is amazing it's just it's an amazing circus it is it is it's and good uh, to hear. it's good to hear i think people can lose sight of that i think i can lose sight of that but um, you know, it's good to pause. And I think you get that from, from being out in the world and traveling and leaving your hovel or your desk job or your day job or whatever. Like, I think travel is so essential. And like coming into contact, like not just travel uh, and coming into contact with other cultures and other towns and other people, but also contact with the natural world. Like you talk about Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't do enough of that. And every time I do get back into open space and you're like, oh, fuck, this is magnificent. You know, like I need more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And also just being kind of, you know, being kind of like on the bum in a way, you know, like, uh, or, or just like not having your shit together and traveling. So like, for instance, you know, having the RV and then crashing it and having it, you know, and being, you know, not having a lot of money, you can't take it to like, you know, the RV world's full of rich people with, you know, their million dollar RVs, you know, and it's like, I'm like finding these guys who are like, you know, in a parking lot that nobody really owns next to the animal shelter in uh, what's that town just north of LA, Oxnard, you know, and like just working with these like local Mexican dudes, just like with their tools all fucked up and like, you know, putting caulking in the sides of the wounds of the RV and trying to fix shit and talking in Spanish and smoking. And you know what I mean? Just like, or whatever the situation is, just like meeting random people and being, being out and needing help and, 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 you know, just being kind of open to kind of interesting connections and interesting meetings with people that you wouldn't ever normally, you know, meet up with. Yeah. That's the gold. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, when I travel, I like to, I like to be doing something, you know, where I just don't know where the next food is, the next plan is, the next place to stay is, and just kind of figuring out as I go, being open to whatever the world puts in front of you at that moment. 
Right. You want to get married and settle down ever? Mm, I don't know, man. I have no idea. No idea. Uh, Maybe uh, you could find a woman who's a free spirit. Do you know she wants to take off with you and do these things? That could be a that could be a thing. Yeah, I, I just don't. I just don't know. You know. Um, it seems really weird to bring kids into the world right now. You have kids. Yeah. yeah. How does that feel? Weird. <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful, but like, the, like, it, does it seem weird? Yeah, it's a, it's a troubled world. I mean, this is part of what I'm trying to write about, and it's like, it's real hard for me to wrestle with it honestly and not come across as too bleak. Like, I want to try to find some sort of uh, light in there, and I don't, you know, maybe I don't have it by the tail well enough to see both sides of the uh, both sides of it, you know, or, or something like that. But it's tough because of. Uh, climate and the population increase and yeah they say the seas are going to be dead of all life by 2048 and you know you hope that that report is wrong and those you know five countries worth of uh, what were the economists and ecologists were you know just fucking giving us the worst case scenario but you know what if they're not yeah i mean you know like i just like to like maybe it's a Really, it's either a really uh, foolish thing or, or a hopeful thing. I'm, I hope it's a hopeful thing, you know, because it's the best thing in my life. I mean, my kids, my daughter is the best thing in my life. I mean, she's the greatest, and I wouldn't take a second back uh, of having her here. But you also want to make sure that we're leaving uh, a planet that's worth living on to, to our kids and, and to our grandkids and whatever it is. And uh, I think that I say that. And then I look at how I conduct my life, and it's something I spend a lot of time fixated on. And I've talked about it recently on this show, but how we live, how we consume right. needs to be radically rethought. And it not only needs to be radically rethought, it needs to be radically uh, like changed at the level of action. You know, right. that, That's hard for people to get to. People don't want to change the way they consume. People don't want to confront the, you know, what needs to be done and, right. and, to, actu- right. and to actualize it. and. I'm trying as much as I can. I'm not perfect, so I don't want to sound like I'm up on my high horse, but I'm trying as much as I can to live that. And I want to make sure that I do so that, like, even if the planet is fucked, um, you know, my daughter and, and possibly a second child someday can at least look back and be like, well, you know, my dad had at least like he one, did one, fuck it, right? Yeah, or at least he had like one <laughs> eye on the ball. It's hard to be perfect, but I mean, right. you know, at least I was awake to it and trying, you know, that's what, that's what my next book is about. Also is about extreme action. Some kids that are taking some, that are going big and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's troubling, right? Because it's like, we can do things and, you know, obviously like, you know, that RV I drove did not get good gas mileage. But uh, so, you know, like I'm guilty of massive consumption as well. Okay. Uh, Every time you get on an airplane, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's impossible to not be a hypocrite on this stuff. Um, but I think the way I think food consumption is the first thing. I think how we consume food is like the easiest and like most impactful way. Like from what I've read, it's more impactful than like not driving a car. Right. Right. So like, you know, stop eating, like lessen the amount of meat you eat, eat more locally. Don't drink as much alcohol. Good luck with that. <laughs> good luck. Right. With that. Good luck with that to my listenership. Uh, I'm assuming. Or... No more booze. <laughs> no just, more red meat. But you know what? I, I just think <laughs> I don't even think it's no more. I mean, if you can go all the way, great. But I think it's like really reduce. And like even that alone will have a huge impact. But 
Well, I boycotted Starbucks because they've teamed up with the anti-Monsanto or with the pro-Monsanto anti-GMO labeling. So so I've at least boycotted those people. Right. Uh, you know, the next thing I think is plastic. We just got to get all this plastic out of here. Well, you can't even have plastic shopping bags in Los Angeles anymore. That's good. That's of, good. It's great, but it's a fucking pain in the ass. You're like, oh, shit, these paper bags are ripping. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a law. I mean, you can't have them. So, I mean, you go, shop- you go shopping at like Target and you've got like heavy things and they're just like, putting it in a brown paper bag so i mean you see these whales washing up with all this plastic inside of them dead no dude or the fucking it's fucking heartbreaking there's a plastic like there's something the size of texas made of plastic out in the pacific ocean yeah the plastic island yeah you can see it from space yeah the whole thing it's a disaster and the overfishing but you know that's the thing that pisses me off because i don't think that we're that fucking bad off that the governments couldn't come up with and i don't want to get political but i think that there's some things that could be done like a plastic tax or you know something about how to protect the oceans i don't know i mean it's like we as a people need to rise up and not just at the level of like you know we're going to recycle but at the level of like we got to change this whole game or we're all going to die yeah and we are all going to die i mean nobody's going to change it it's not changing and that's why people are so disaffected well right but but then we're just supposed to walk around with that like you know whatever fuck it you can't you got to take action i think you got to act and march and do shit you know locally and most importantly like that i mean this is where i'm at with it because i feel that disaffection but i think you gotta at your own personal daily existence at, the, at that level you got to make changes and you got to change the way you consume and if one by one we do that then markets change you know if people are consu- right. like you know the markets will follow the way people consume like don't consume yeah why can't all these plastics just be made out of fucking corn what? Like when you get your heartburn pills, why can't they come in the fucking little plastic tray shit yeah. with the silver? And why can't that shit be made out of corn? Yeah, I mean, I get you buy you can buy a lot of corn based uh, like you know straws and you know compostable stuff is starting to be available. You got to look right. for it, but you can find it. And yeah, I yeah. think uh, you know the word that comes to mind, like I, is the word radical, and I think it gets a bad rap. Like this is one of my shticks that I've like I go through with people and have written about and talked about a lot, but. It's a word that gets a bad rap because it's got like this kind of like stone dumb surfer connotation, you know, like radical waves or whatever. <laughs> Which I kind of like. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely anti. But then on, right. the, on the other side of the coin, like radicals, like, you know, like you've got like ISIS and like crazy uh, suicide bombers and whatnot, you know, who have sort of like gotten that label. So. But like etymologically, the word radical uh, means root, right? You're getting to the root of things and you're, and you're really going deep. Nice, and, and I think that like what you're talking about and what and what we're talking about here with regard to uh, how people behave in their lives and in the world is like we need to be like it requires radical change, like like in order for things to get even like remotely better, we need radical change, not just like incremental change or like oh yeah we'll take one step now like no we need to get fucking uh, radical. Yeah, how the yeah how the fuck do we do that? Well, Especially when, the, you know, when like, I don't know, I'm looking at my generation and, and, and the generation under just younger than us. And it's like our generation, whatever. It's like people are getting like $2,000 fucking rent. It's like, you know, people can't you know, are just like working so fucking hard just to get a place in a city that they want to live in. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't how do you how do you get radical? What are we going to do? Well, I, I'll tell you, like there's something a buddy of mine said not too long ago. It's just like. When you think about how expensive it is to live, just to meet basic expenses, and then you think about like CEO pay and what these like you know high level bankers are making, like those fuckers are winning. Because, yeah, like, it's all connected. I don't care. I mean, I know that like I don't know exactly how it's all connected, but you can't tell me that the cost of living 
um, you know, for, for normal people, for average people and the difficulties in, you know, that people are having with that, uh, you know, and then on the other side of the coin, like the insane, uh, wealth, well, wealth accumulation sure, that's happening, right. it's just, it's, it's connected. And like those fuckers are winning, they're winning policy and, uh, they're, they're, they're just like sliding a lot. Of oh, it's so fucking depressing, isn't it? Yeah. And then you look at the government and it's like, nobody believes this anymore. Like nobody believes, I mean, some people do. Yeah. It seems like the ultra right still believe, but we all know it's fucked. Yeah. And the, 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 the torture reports, the, you know, the banking bailout, you investigate any single, you know, situation and you know that they're just fucking assholes yep. and they're fucking you and that the whole thing is immoral. It's, deep, you know? it's deeply cynical. It's deeply cynical. And it's like it's sort of mind blowing to me. I mean, I guess people can delude themselves. But I mean, you start to think about like, these people have kids. They're going to have grandkids and like they're still like, no, we want to uh, frack and like you know, draw oil out of the ground and put all our resources there and burn coal. And, you know, like, I mean, it's just, uh, there's, right. There's no tomorrow, man. It's like, right. But then you look at that and, you know, and GE makes the parts for the, for the, for the nuclear, uh, you know, power plants. And, and it's like, well, what are they going to put on their television stations that they own? You know, the GE owned television station, what's the media going to say? You know, we have the fucking technology right now to do solar and wind and, you know, and electric cars and change the whole fucking game. You know, if we wanted to do a WPA project, and again, I don't know how you do this kind of a thing, but if you wanted to do like a government-subsidized WPA-like project where you built enough electric cars and subsidized them for the people to all be like switching over from gas to electric, we could. If we wanted to put in solar across the country and, you know, get off of oil so that we stop funding ISIS and ISIL, we fucking could. It's just, you know, how do you do it? How do you implement it? Can the government, you know, effectuate such a thing? Sure. You know, those are the questions. But we can get off of all this shit right now. You know, we don't need any of it. Fuck yeah. Well, but, you, but you. nobody's talking about it. Nobody's coming up with that as a platform, you know, and it's like we just want business as usual, money as usual. Well, when the shit hits the fan, I'm going to come live on your commune out in Joshua Tree. Be like, oh, man, we'll all die. <laughs> <laughs> There's no water. There's that'll be beautiful. Mojave greens. It'll be, a beautiful, yeah. it'll be a beautiful death. So uh, it's been great talking with you. Super fun. Uh, congratulations on the book. Uh, my condolences again on the loss of your brother, and uh, I certainly wish you well, both on whatever book comes next, and just wish you well in life and, and in your travels. Thank you, thank you, uh, thanks for having me, and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll end up out in that area, and we can uh, we can meet up. All right, folks, there you go. That was Luke B. Goble. His novel is called Fourteen Stories. None of them are yours. It's available now from Fiction Collective Two. You can find him online at lukebgobel.com. You can find him on Facebook. Uh, you can find him on Instagram. Look at his photos. Peruse his personal archive. Uh, don't forget about the Other People app. This uh, program has its own app. Download that thing on your new uh, iPhone that you got for Christmas or your new iPad, whatever device, or your Android device. Get the new app. It's not even new. Get the app. The app is free. Once you have the app, the most recent 50 episodes of this program will be waiting for you free of charge. And then if you want to stream all of the archives, all 300 and some odd episodes, sign up for premium. Costs a few uh, bucks. And you can stream everything right there within the app. If you'd like to email me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Let me know what you think. Complain. File a complaint. Or uh, lavish me with praise. So, my daughter's very excited for Christmas. I feel sort of bad. I'm having second thoughts. She put me on the spot. I told her Santa Claus was a lie. 
Don't put me on the spot. I'm a terrible liar. I cave. I've been sleeping very deeply the past few nights, which has been glorious. Feels like I'm ca- like I'm catching up or something. It's a sleepy time of year. Please remember that E.M. Forrester called Ulysses, quote, a dogged attempt to cover the universe with mud, and that John D. Rockefeller once said, quote, God gave me the money. That's it for now. Uh, thanks again to Luke Goebel. We had a really good uh, talk there. I enjoyed that. And uh, Merry Christmas to you guys. Happy Hanukkah to you guys. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy uh, atheist avoidance of all of the above, whatever your druthers. And uh, try to, uh, you know, enjoy some downtime if you uh, are lucky enough to have some. Embrace the inertia. Just sleep. Just eat. Just fucking eat. Just eat whatever. I talk about food a lot at the tail end of the show. (laughs) All right, enough.